Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Um, Carlos, we've, we've got a guest today that uh, that we've been wanting to get on for a while, and it only took Lloyd Carr's grandson choosing Notre Dame over to Michigan to finally get him in here. I thought, you, I thought it was NIL money that we had to like pay up front to get him on, because it's, it's been a while. I mean, he's been an elusive target for us. He has been a while. Well, been a while implies he's he's been with us already, and he is not. So a bit elusive is uh, is good. I'm not sure, uh, you know, why it's taken so long, but uh, we want to welcome in uh, Reiner Saban. We're going to talk a little bit about Lloyd Carr's grandson. Can we just say C.J. Carr? How about that? The quarterback who played in Celine, who plays in Celine, who chose Notre Dame over Michigan. We're going to get into Michigan State's recruiting and what Mel Tucker's, I, who knows what's going on up there with like five, four stars in eight days. I don't know what that means. It's just a little bit different for Michigan State. And then we're going to talk to Reiner in the second segment about his move up from Alabama, why the SEC is so much better than the Big Ten, why that uh, annoys everybody around. Is it a move up or a move down to the Big and, to covering the Big Ten? Is it? I don't know. Well, I, you know, it's, I came from oh my Alabama God. too, but uh, I, w- I wasn't really covering the SEC. I was covering other stuff down there. But anyway, uh, that's a good question. We'll ask that's Reiner that. But let's let's get him in here, Carlos Reiner. Welcome into uh, the show, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's that understated uh, Reiner saving that we all love. So, so tell us a little bit about. Um, oh, you covered the event, or not the event, but the. It was an event. It was an event. Come on. Can we say it was an event? All right. You covered it. You were there. Um, you've obviously done a lot of background work. You're well sourced in this program. But what what, what do you think uh, happened? Why did CJ chose choose to go to Notre Dame? And uh, and what does that mean in your opinion? I don't know if you can make any kind of broad sweeping conclusions about you know the, the Michigan program and whether they failed there. I think it's more of a personal situation where again he really did want to get out from maybe under the you know the the name that he has and and try to go make his own way. Um, I do think that there is some element that he wanted to, you know, develop as a quarterback. I, I don't think the quote from Lloyd Carr was uh, was something that you can ignore, um, certainly given Michigan's track record of developing quarterbacks over the last 14 years. Um, you know, they haven't had a really a top round level quarterback since Chad Henney. So, um you know, Shea Patterson obviously was a complete, you know, miss in a lot of ways for for Michigan to go from a five-star recruit, Ballyhoo transfer to undrafted guy who's now playing in the USFL. So, I mean, I think, you know, those things are, are factors into the decision. Ultimately, I think it was a very personal decision where he wanted to go, you know, elsewhere and, you know, make his own way and fell in love with this program and I think the offensive coordinator Tommy Reese um a former quarterback himself and um it just seemed like a good fit for him I mean you know it's like Notre Dame is not exactly a quarterback factory itself right and you got a first-time head coach I mean let's just be honest right I mean like if Michigan's churning out quarterback NFL quarterback talent you know top picks whatever is there any question that Lloyd Carr's grandson signs with Michigan I mean he's right there all the history and I you know you, you got to believe the kid that yeah you, that makes sense it's maybe a little too close right right in his backyard all that history but I mean if he really felt he the the prospects were there I mean is that not an indictment on what Michigan is under Harbaugh specifically of not developing quarterbacks he was supposed to be the quarterback whisperer 
Uh, I actually asked him about this actually right when I got here. It was about, I mean, because I was doing a story on Brandon Peters because he, uh, you know, obviously was another highly touted player who didn't really develop. And then, you know, this was after he transferred to Illinois. Um, I asked him uh, in the press conference about his track record, the track record of developing quarterbacks. And he was like, um, I don't want to toot my own horn. And it was like, I don't, I didn't quite understand the response because again, like he really hadn't developed anybody since Kaepernick uh, that he could really kind of point to. Uh, Alex Smith obviously was already there um, and shown some ability. Uh, I think, you know, Harbaugh probably enhanced that when he was in San Francisco, but even going back to college, I mean, Josh Johnson and Andrew Luck, um, uh, obviously at Stanford, but Andrew Luck, I mean, he was Oliver Luck's son and he's a pretty good player when he was in Texas and playing at 5A level, you know, college, uh, I mean, high school football in Texas. So, I mean, like, it's just not a player that was just undeveloped and raw when he got to Stanford. And plus, you know, I think he understood football at an extremely high level. So, um, you know, so how much credit can you give Harbaugh for that? So, I mean, I think his track record is really pretty, pretty spotty from the developing and from developing quarterbacks. So I don't really know how he got the reputation for quarterback whisperer. Well, I mean, I, I mean, okay. First of all, no, Carlos, it's not um, necessarily an indictment. And we have no way of knowing if, if, uh, you know, the last couple of quarterbacks at Michigan were first round picks, if that's where Carr would want to go. I mean, you know, sometimes you don't. You, you you just want to get away from your family, or you don't want to play for your dad. I mean, if you were my dad, I'd probably want to go to South Bend my, or Mishawaka myself. You know what I mean? Because I'd want a little bit of space. I, you know, I wouldn't want to get dragged out of the golf course every weekend. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and ca- ca- carrying your clubs. You know what I mean? No, no. But in all seriousness, uh, d- d- just real quickly, he had the reputation, bec- and uh, he des- deserves tremendous credit for what he did with Smith. The numbers from when he- before he got to San Francisco. You can argue that Luck had the innate ability, whatever, but I under- and I understand that. But he was still a great quarterback. I would argue it's been since Wilton's uh, spate, because Ru- because finding Rudolph, getting him over from Iowa, and then having a really good first year, and then he turns into I know he's a backup, but he's in the NFL for a minute, and then Spate is a couple inches away from the college football playoff, or at least the Big Ten title game, and is presumably the playoff. So, and then he kind of had some head stuff and obviously injuries the next year. So I would argue those first couple of years, he, or first few years, he was fine at Michigan. It's been the misses on, you know, as you mentioned, Patterson, Peters leaving. I mean, we'll see what happens with McCarthy, but it's been the last four or five. Well, yeah, it's been. Doing McCaffrey too. Yeah, it's been the last five, four or five years or whatever, right? It's, yeah. He started off well at Michigan and it just plummeted. Which is weird. Which is weird because he'd had a seven, eight years of really good quarter, more or less really good quarterback play, and now it's been four or five years of well until this past season. You know, McNamara was was solid, but th- that's what's hard to figure to me, Reiner. I, well, I agree. I, I agree, but I also even even contend with Brudock. I mean, he was already developed by the time he got there. He was a grad student, so I mean, when when he got to right, but that's not what Rudock um, said. But yeah, right. But I mean, I'd say, but, you know, in, in general, I think he, you know, was a pretty, you know, he had one year to basically spend with Harbaugh and, you know, he had a good year, but I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, he set the world on fire either. I mean, the, the thing is, is that in the context of Michigan football, 
yeah, Rudnock performed well, but in the grand scheme of things, by and large, in college football, you see where the trends are going. That's where C.J. Carr wants to go. He wants to go with what modern offenses are doing. You know, Michigan last year showed it, you know, got to the college football playoff. But one of the things that showed, you know, was that they were going to do it kind of in an old school way where, you know, Alabama, all these, you know, USC, they're all moving towards these more attractive offenses. And I think that that's something that CJ Carr wants to join too. And maybe that was also, I mean, that you could kind of hear from him as he was discussing this, you know, his excitement with Tommy Reese and what they were, what they were doing offensively. And again, Notre Dame last year was one of the more prolific passing offenses in college football. I think they were ranked in the top 20, you know, Michigan was nowhere close to that. By the way, is this not an indictment, Sean, that you're, you're hanging your hat on Good quarterbacks from Michigan being Rudock and Spate. I mean, come on, man. I mean, he's just like, I'm not saying hanging that, my head on anything. Good quarterbacks. Saying... I mean, they were like okay in college, and they never had pro careers. And certainly, CJ Carr is thinking about a pro career. What's the next level? I mean, Ryder just wrote a story, you know, recently talking about their uh, their German defensive end uh, Welshoff, I think, and how he wants to sw- he wants to move to the en- to the edge, right? Because that's where he's going to make his money in the NFL. He wants to be Ojabo. I mean, that's what that's what makes sense. It's like, how are you preparing me for the next step? Not, I want to be in a, I want to be a good college player. No, 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 no. If you're if you're a five star kid, you're thinking about the pros. What's going to get me to that next level? How am I going to be in a prolific offense? Like Reiner said, I'm not hanging my head on anything. I'm saying that that there was a reason he had that reputation when he got here. In his first couple of years here, he. He more or less did that. I mean, you can say what you want about Rudolph, but he played better at Michigan than he did at Iowa. Now, maybe he's surrounded by better better talent. To me, the bigger win early for Harbaugh was Spate, who he did not recruit and turn but into. But they didn't a, turn a, into NFL quarterbacks. It doesn't matter. That's not the that's, point. I'm that saying, does matter. No, I understand that for C.J. Carr, but I'm saying he did a good job developing Spate. You can't dismiss that. Now, I'm what I'm saying is for the last six years, five years, however long it is, there, there's been nothing. Right, I mean, I I don't want to dismiss McNamara. McNamara was a solid quarterback last year, and they got to the playoff. But Reiner's right; it was based on an offensive line and running game, and you know, running the ball and mixing it up, and so on and so forth. I'm just saying, in the in the relative to what his reputation was, and then the first couple of years here, it's just it's completely fell off, and that's what's uh, harder to figure. Maybe you look back and say it was never deserved in the first place. I don't know, but I'm not hanging my hat on anything. I'm saying you can't dismiss that. Rudock and Spate were both good college players. They were nowhere near great, but we, we we have a scale here, right? That's a bad scale. If that's I know I know you're saying the trend is coming down, but that's just a bad scale. If if, if Rudock and Spate are like the height of what you know Harbaugh has done in college, like that's for with quarterbacks, that's just not good. No Can't blame Carr. Can't blame Carr at all. But I'm not saying I. I mean, it, Reiner's not even saying that's why he left, right? I mean, we don't know. I, don't I don't know. think I don't think it's a stain on Michigan's soul, right? Oh yeah, and, to lose to lose a legacy like CJ Carr from your backyard, not everybody wants five, to go play five for feet their... away with a national champion winning grandfather. Come on, man! I mean that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You can't it's do much that. more of a stain a on the soul that they've lost to Mel Tucker the last two years. Come on. Yeah, I've well, yeah, let's, you can't. Let's get Reiner can't control in here. that. Let's get Reiner in here. No, we're going to fight. Stay out of this, Reiner. Reiner, come on. Well, you, I mean, the, well, losing to Mel, Mel Tucker in Michigan State has not been a good thing because it's allowed 
Michigan State to gain some momentum, obviously, in a lot of different ways, not, not just, uh, you know, in the context of the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry, but also in just recruiting in general. You know, I think the even the 2020 win, which isolated as it was, uh, really kind of gave some level of belief with Michigan State that didn't exist and likely probably enhanced the possibility for them to win 11 games last season. And so that one, that one victory in 2020 was, I think, very momentous for, you know, the, uh, the Michigan State program and what Mel Tucker was trying to sell to people, you know, this belief that Michigan State could really do something, you know, if and when they could get the players uh, that they got because they showed that they could even win against Michigan with a pretty ragtag roster in 2020. But now you're seeing all these months later, you know, year and a half later or whatever, that, you know, Michigan State is starting to put this thing together exactly the way that Mel Tucker kind of envisioned. I have a question for you, and I know Carlos wants to get in here too, Ryder, but it, let's just stay with Carr for a second. I remember when Lloyd Carr, after Lloyd Carr's last game, when they beat Florida in the Citrus Bowl, and uh, there was a small group of reporters the next morning in a hotel room, and we were just kind of talking to him. He was reflecting on his career and all that sort of thing and and the way he recruited and the kind of teams he had. And I remember at one point he looked at us and he said, all I knew is that if I went and found NFL, first, second, third round NFL receivers, then I was going to be able to go get quarterbacks. So it was, it, it, it was interesting. He was telling us that he didn't necessarily go after the quarterback first as much as – and you remember that run of Michigan receivers – under him, right? I mean, he, there were years when he'd have two or three NFL guys there. On the hand, Preston, Braylon Edwards. Yeah, 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 no, no. Jason Avon, who had, had a really good, you know, a good career in Philly and all that. But anyway, I remember thinking that, oh, that was interesting that that's how he saw it. And he wanted the offensive line, too, to give the quarterback time. But to me, Harbaugh hasn't done that necessarily either. He's had a couple, but he has not had a – has he had a team to you, Reiner, with three NFL guys on the edge? Because that's that's part of it too. He hasn't had a skill position player drafted in the first two rounds. Exactly. So yeah. that's to me yeah. that's the bigger issue, right? He's not. I mean, it's not just the, the the scheme and the offense or whatever and quarterback whisper. I don't know, but he hasn't had those skill guys out there to make somebody like Carr want to come throw. Well, is it the chicken or the egg? I mean, are receivers not coming there because they can't pass the ball, or then you know can't pass the ball because receivers aren't coming there? You know, all of that goes back to Harbaugh, though. I mean, because he's the one who runs the offense. And if the offense isn't attractive, it's not going to bring in anybody, you know, and, you know, from a, a skill position standpoint. Now, I mean, they're they're able to get, you know, again, great offensive linemen and some really good running backs because that's kind of what their offense is geared to right now. And so um, that was the question I actually asked him last year. And, like, every, you know, again, he got very – upset about it, but I asked him, I was like, how do you think, you know, granted you're winning right now, but how is this going to affect, you know, receivers recruiting? Are you, are you going to get, are you going to be able to get top line players or people going to want to come to Michigan, you know, at the skill position players, you know, at the skill position to, uh, you know, to, to play for Michigan because, you know, the offense isn't, you know, kind of geared towards their, what they want to do, like what they, how they want to progress as a player. I mean, and so recruiting is all about um, kind of selling an idea. And, 
you know, Michigan's right now is not selling the idea that they're, you know, uh, this is kind of a lead passing offense. You know, I wanted to just get back, you know, I'm sure Sean wants to jump in here and talk about Mel Tucker posing with the Ferrari and all that stuff. But um, I wanted to ask you, Reiner, just what, what was the scene like uh, at Celine High when Carr announced, you know, he puts on the, the hat and opens the jacket. And I, I know that he'd been talking, there'd been, it sounded like he was leaning toward Notre Dame, but just what was that vibe like for a kid, you know, a couple miles away from the big house with his uh, parents that, there announcing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually a pretty subdued, uh, whereas one of those signing ceremonies go, I mean, part of it had to do with the fact that the setup was, I mean, he's doing something with, I think, CBS HQ. So they, um, he was talking into a, basically an empty void uh, answering questions that you couldn't even hear uh, weird. from the, the host. And so like, and then he, and then he made his announcement and uh, you know, afterwards, I mean, it was just kind of calm, like, you know, him hugging his friends, taking pictures, you know, it was, uh, you know, it seemed like he was kind of relieved to get, get past this kind of point and move on with things. So there was no like eruption of, you know, cheering or whatever, or just. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. It was, it was very, again, very subdued kind of uh, quiet atmosphere for uh, one of those signing day events. How many people? I mean, it was also in a random school boardroom, uh, not even at the high school. That's weird. How many people were there? Do you think? Say about 40 to 45. I mean, you know, family, friends, teammates, you know, um, Obviously, Lloyd um, and his family, you know, uh, probably extended family to. Um, but, yeah, it was it was just a kind of a very small, relatively small gathering and, and kind of in a quiet, uh, you know, boardroom again in a random building. I think they were supposed to have it at the high school and then they moved it to another uh, school or the, the school district headquarters are. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, I mean, I, I'm curious what you think about this, but to me, they're gonna McCarthy's gonna have to turn into something, right? For them, for for that, for them to start attracting those those kind of guys, yeah. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I think you know this. He's kind of um, uh, a, a bellwether type player in that sense. Like, I mean, it's it's really gonna determine again, also whether you know Michigan can go move forward offensively to see if they can reach that kind of uh, heights that all these other teams and all these other major programs have done from an offensive standpoint, um, because he does have the skill set you would think to kind of bring that offense into the new age with his running and passing ability. So uh, I think he's an important part of that. Um, Whether he takes over the job this year is the question. I mean, I think, you know, uh, I think Kate McNamara made a convincing case that he can run the Michigan offense, the Harbaugh offense, pretty well because, I mean, he, again, is pretty judicious with the football. No, he is, and it's interesting. Of course, they, they tweaked that offense, as you know, to go back to the sort of traditional Harbaugh offense, and that's what they that's when they go on their run, and that works against all but two or three teams in the, in the country, right? When you run up against first and second round defensive tackles, all of a sudden, all of a sudden that run, at, at Georgia, or, or it's similar to Alabama, right? The, the run game's not the same, and you got to be and you got to yeah, throw. Yeah, yeah and uh, you know, I think losing Hassan Haskins is a, is probably hard for them, uh, given the fact that, I mean, by and large, I I rarely saw him 
rarely, rarely saw him fall backwards. He always fell forward and was very big on short yardage situations, which the year prior they had a very hard time with. Uh, they were constantly running Joe Milton curiously in quarterback sneaks, and he got, kept on getting stuffed. When they had Hassan Haskins, like just standing on the sideline, and this year they used him, and he, you know it was jokingly referred to as third and H two. But I think you know that component is going to be missing from them this year, where um, you know uh, I don't know if Donovan Edwards is that type of player who's going to get you the the hard yards, and I certainly don't think Blake Corum is that kind of guy. So. That I, I think the m- missing element of Hassan Haskins is going to have an impact. But then again, the schedule is so favorable for them that I don't, I don't, I think Michigan pretty much breaks through its uh, its slate uh, before it gets to Ohio State and Columbus. Well, we'll see. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break, uh, Ryan, and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about Michigan recruiting. And um, I want to talk a little bit about your journey, but also let's 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 get into what Tucker's doing or not doing for a minute up at uh, up at Michigan State, if that's okay with Carlos. It's just a veiled excuse to talk about your column, Sean. So yes, yes, please no. join us. Come back, Reiner, to talk no, about no, Sean's column. No, we've already talked. We've already we've already said staying on the soul, which is you know it's funny because I used to think you two were alike. It's just that Reiner didn't <laughs> smile as much as you. But I, but I but I but you're nothing alike. You are. Yeah, Reiner would never say that's a. He wants to pigeonhole us, Reiner. Just you know, you know that's how Sean is. Reiner would never. Reiner would never do that. Reiner understood that sometimes a dude just may want to get away from his family or something else, and that the 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 two things can be true at once. That there's a quarterback issue, and that this particular quarterback had nothing to do with that because maybe he wanted to get away from his family. That's a little more nuanced than you. No, I. But 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 Reiner. I totally agree with you. If I was in the Sean Windsor family, I'd want to get away too. I totally I totally agree, Sean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my kids, my kids getting ready to go to LA, so, for sure. All right, look, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal, focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game. Freak beat writer Chris Slaurie and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom have spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game in the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartans Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with uh, Carlos and Sean. As, uh, as Carlos often likes to say, the show should be called Free Press Sports with Carlos. Or maybe it is Carlos slash Free Press Sports <laughs> or Dash or whatever. I don't know. I, I don't need to be in the title. Um, but I am glad uh, that we are joined by Rainer Saban today. And we're talking about college football and recruiting in Michigan and why there's a stain on the university's soul, according to Carlos. Uh, Reiner, let me just uh, let's stay right there for a sec. Do you think this is a stain on the soul not getting CJ Carr? I mean, I probably wouldn't characterize it as such, but it's. Uh, I mean, it, again, it's not a good look from an optic standpoint 
to lose a player, you know, with that lineage, with that name, uh, who's in your backyard, who's a five-star recruit. I mean, it, it's never going to be, it's never going to look good in, in the grand scheme of things. Now, I mean, again, they, there's the possibility of landing Dante Moore, although I don't know how, you know, distinct that possibility is. And then, you know, there's other quarterbacks that they're in on in uh, cards class in 2024, Moore's in uh, in 2023 is just to clarify. So, um, so they do have, you know, other possibilities and, you know, uh, um, you all, to, all you have to do is take one per class. So it's not, um, it's not hard to fathom that they will get a four or five star level recruit. And who knows that recruit may end up being, you know, the next big thing. So you just, you can't predict with quarterback recruits. Some are, some are, some are, you know, some don't pan out. Uh, saw it at Alabama, you know, Alabama, the Blake Barnett five-star kid, you know, got beat out by Jalen Hurts. Um, uh, most people thought Blake Barnett was going to be the next big thing after, you know, Jay Coker led them to the championship in 2015. That didn't happen. So uh, Blake Barnett then went to <laughs> Arizona State, um, and then to eventually to South Florida, I think. And that's where he finished his career and disappeared into the ether. Reiner's definitely reaching back into his SEC roots. He can't help himself. But, uh, but, but I mean, flip it the other way, right? <clears throat> I mean, if Carr says, I'm going to Michigan, how much excitement is just, I mean, people would just explode, right? Of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, but again, from an optics standpoint, it's not a good look. I mean, you know, I, I think that, that I, I mean, again, um, there were other circumstances at play here, I think, and, you know, it's a personal decision. But, I mean, I don't think you can argue that it's not a, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a bad look, um, you know, for Michigan in that sense to lose a player of that caliber in your backyard who has that kind of connection to the program. Yeah, bad bad look to bad look to who? To us? To other coach to other coaches? No, bad luck to but to the Michigan fans. I mean, because they're it depends on where you go. I know you do the same, Reiner. You you get in, you try to get reaction and see what's going on, and there there are plenty of people that are like ah, he wanted to get away from his family, and there are plenty of people like ah, I can't believe he didn't come. So, but bad luck to who? I mean, I think a large part of the Michigan fans were probably very disappointed. Like I re- re- was reading it on the message boards. People couldn't understand why he went to Notre Dame. I mean, it's an understandable, you know, uh, disappointment uh, from that standpoint. You know, when you have a kid, again, with that connection to the program, who not only doesn't go to your school that, or the school that he's expected to go to, but then goes to the regional rival, Notre Dame. And so I think that that's, again, not a great look. So... Uh, regardless of whether Michigan had any control over that, which I don't think they really had much, you know, the, you know, it's ultimately going to be, well, why didn't they, you know, why couldn't they convince this guy to stay home? Yeah. I just think enough people understand what the family dynamic to me, the bigger issue is, can they capitalize on this run? I don't know that they're gonna, right. Are they going to go get receivers? Can they find another quarterback? I, I mean, Right, you know they're going to get some defensive players, but can they take that next step in recruiting? To me, and it doesn't—it's not about CJ Carr. Right? I mean, they have not recruited that well in general. Right, no, not this cycle. They, 
Yeah, and so the, to me, that's the much more uh, damning issue. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Well, I mean, when your coach goes out and interviews on National Signing Day, that's also a bad look. Bad look. Yeah, that's a that, you know, yeah. The, the optics are important, and then optics of losing CJ Carr, the optics of interviewing on National Signing Day, those are bad things, and so Michigan has to deal with the consequences of that. You know, and uh, whether they like it or not, it's just the reality of it. But you know, part of it is yeah, they made absolutely. their own bed. I mean, these, all these things, yeah. all these things, you know, there, there's a cost to doing them. Ward Manuel giving Harbaugh a pay cut, you know, winning that or having such a great season, and then going to check the NFL waters. That's gonna, there's gonna be a cost to that. You know, you don't just do, you know, and that's the thing is like we, we, we see all these things and. And all they ever do, the administration, the coaches, whatever, everybody just downplays it. Oh, no, 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 no. We're just a big happy family now. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, money means nothing to me. Uh, you know, oh, no, no. You know, it does mean something. I mean, we're not stupid. You know, we understand that there are, you know, egos and play and pride and all this other stuff. So you can't, you can't blame Ward. You can't blame, you know, Harbaugh for doing all this stuff. But the, there is a cost. There's a lasting cost. And it's unfortunate that, like you're saying, Sean, I mean, they're not going to be able to probably capitalize on such a great season because there's all this, you know, uncertainty. And yeah, Harbaugh says he's in forever, right? But do you really believe it? Do you really believe that there's a job opening that's just too good to pass up? He's not going to explore it? Well, they're also they're also, I, they're also pitching a transactional yep, versus thing. transformational. That's exactly also, right. That's also, just, I think, the foolish thing to be selling because can't, why can't it be both? I mean, that's exactly right. I wrote that uh, last uh, week or week before, right? Ryan Day's talking about we need thirteen million dollars to keep our roster mm-hmm. intact, right? And and Harbaugh's talking about come here and feel good <laughs> and wear the block M and, and enjoy the khaki yeah. pants. In, in, Major in general <laughs> studies. Uh, I mean, <laughs> which again, like uh, you know, he railed against when he was a Stanford coach, and then now is like you know all about the Michigan experience it's like well what was it what is the michigan experience i mean harbaugh at one point was saying it wasn't that great you know from a a holistic standpoint and now he's and now he's saying it's transformational and i mean no i mean it's it could be transformational but it could all but it's also transactional in the current context of college football it's absolutely both, and I wrote that last week. Or and it's not both because I wrote it. I'm not like Carlos, but it. I mean, I think we can just agree that uh, any kind of uh, any kind of relationship at any university, whether you're an athlete or not, is transactional. Right? You pay for tuition. You go in, you get a chance to learn and earn a degree, and go do whatever. I mean, it's it's all so to downplay that. It, that doesn't make sense. I understand of playing up. Michigan and and, and and it is a special university. It's one of the best public schools in the country. I mean, that's fine. We we, we don't want to. We don't need to debate that. That's all true. But I'm with you, Reiner. I, I I don't understand not leaning into the NIL, especially this is one of the this is the wealthiest public school alumni base in the country. It I mean, it's just where we're at. You know, you got the co- you got the coach up the road with with uh, Ferraris in his stadium. I mean, you you can nitpick that. You can say I, I don't know if that's good culturally or not. Oh, Harbaugh rolled around. But that's where. But that's well, where a few years at. ago. Harbaugh rolled around in a Corvette. You know, I mean, it's on a, it's in, on a gif. You know, so I mean, it's not, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, no. I mean, it's not like he's not done this stuff too. You know, I mean, the problem is, is that Jim at one point 
you know, was ahead of the game. He was doing the satellite camps. He was innovative. He, now he's now he's playing from behind. He was he used he was playing from ahead. I mean, he you know came up with these you know uh, you know positions. I guess on staff or you know he, he, like having the you know Biff Pogey you know be a guy and then you know Pogey goes off to you know St. Francis. He comes back to the program anyway. He was he was doing stuff you know creating new positions. Uh, you know, hiring in a unique way, doing the satellite camps. Now he's now he's playing from behind. The guy, like you said, Mel Tucker, who's up the road, he's he's at play, he's at, ahead of the curve now. But, but what he, happened? He's, what he's happened? Why did Harbaugh change? I mean, Why is he now an old man suddenly? You know, get off my lawn. I don't want to hear about NIL and all this stuff. Like what 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 changed about him? Why has he not kept up? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it got too far. He got uh, he thought college football got too far in front of his skis or or what? Because like uh, it is interesting. Because again, like when he first got into the uh, you know back into the sport in twenty you know fifteen, he was again uh, doing stuff that other people weren't even trying or even thinking of, and it was uh, dis- disrupting the kind of course of the game. And he was obviously drawing a lot of uh, you know, angry responses, especially from coaches in the SEC and such. And right. now, like, right, they were threatened. Yeah, because, I mean, it was a smart idea. Like, he was doing some stuff that was pretty intelligent as far as recruiting. Uh, going around and, you know, again, showcasing the program. You know, he did the signing of the Stars event. That was unique. Uh, but he stopped doing it. And he just stopped doing it. Is, is the money in the NIL. Look, Nick Saban doesn't like this either, right? He's railing against Jimbo Fisher saying you bought the team at Texas A&M. He's the head coach of Texas A&M. And, but he's not going to – I mean, Saban's going to say that, but he's not going to not let his people in that state, in that school – you know this, Reiner, right? Not go spend whatever's necessary to keep recruiting at that level now that it's all above board, right? So, to me, Saban sounds – I mean, they, they, maybe they share that idea. A lot of these coaches don't like it. Mel Tucker doesn't like it. Mel Tucker doesn't like the transfer rule. He's not going to say this publicly, but privately, right? I mean, he had he, he's, he had to go – how many kids did he get his first year transfer or second year transfer kids? And you have one or two work out. A lot of them leave, right? And and, and you, they worry about the kids, but it's it's what they have to do. I don't think a lot of these coaches like it, the transfer stuff or the NIL. The strange thing is Jim Harbaugh advocated for the one-time free transfer rule, and he can't use it because of the admission credit transfer issue at the University of Michigan. So uh, so he advocated for a rule that has now put him at a huge competitive disadvantage, which is bizarre when you think about it, um, because the, the school 60 miles away has used that transfer rule very much to its advantage. Um, he's, you, I mean, Mel Tucker, um, I think, you know, has been probably almost the best at the transfer portal out of any, uh, out of any coach in the FBS, or you can make an argument with that, partly because of his NFL background, where he uses the transfer portal as free agency and recruiting as the draft, essentially, where he fills the spots that he needs to fill and then he goes out and gets the guys to really pick the best player available, so to speak, uh, to basically make his recruiting, uh, you know, uh, as good as possible. Well, the question the question is how much 
whether you want to call it autonomy that Harbaugh has or, or, or whether his hands are tied a little bit. I mean, part of it is, you know, if the school has this rule that's handcuffing him, that's that's troublesome. But also the signing of the stars thing. I mean, did he get some blowback from, you know, some deep pocket donors or, or you know, people in the administration who have power, whoever it might be, saying that's not maybe the best look. This is not what Michigan's about. You know, we're about the block M and, and tradition and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, and maybe is there something more at play than just Harbaugh? deciding on his own that I don't want to get into that game and the transactional thing. Are there people at Michigan, you know, behind the scenes, powerful people saying this is not we're the block M, we're the big house, we're tradition. That's that's who we are, not, you know, Ferraris and G Wagons. I'm not I'm not I'm not totally aware of that. I mean it wouldn't be, you know, far fetched to believe that that's, you know, possible that there is some uh, a contingent of uh older alumni that aren't in favor of that. But I mean, you know, Harbaugh also used to have a podcast, stop doing that. You know, he, he has gone off Twitter. So, I mean, these are, per, I mean, as much personal decisions as anything that has gone on. I don't know what, what the reason is behind them. And uh, I found it very curious because again, he was very out front uh, when he first got to Michigan. Uh, and very, very eager to promote the, uh, very eager to promote the program. I mean, doing the, um, you know, foreign tours and such. I mean, certainly COVID, you know, put a stop to that. But you know, even coming back this year, you know, which I mean, I think is also somewhat related to COVID. But they did, the, you know, decided to do just a Michigan tour here. So I mean, like all these things that again they were using to promote and attracting ESPN to come follow them and. You know, uh, it, it's it's kind of stopped, and I think it has to do with you know Jim. Jim has kind of a low attention span. Uh, I don't. He's not. He moves on from one initiative to the other. You know, he's not consistent. I mean, he even tried it with you know the Gaddis and the offense for a little while. Didn't work. He went back to what he you know was really comfortable with, and you know maybe maybe that's part of the personnel. Right. And that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, no, that, that, yeah, no, that, that would be my point. The, the other side of all this is that, you know, you look at the year ahead last year, you're right. They went from the, the spread offense, whatever you want to call it, um, on, you know, with Gaddis to going back to a traditional offense. Not only that, they made some more internal changes, right? Tried to reconfigure the way they communicate with the players and empower the players more. And, it, and, and to me, that was also part of what happened last year. And you could see that you were around the team, you were around the players. It just, it, the whole thing felt different. And maybe they're going to lean into this idea of, well, you know, maybe we're, you know, so, so we're not going to have top five classes. We're not going to have, you know, all these first rounders every year or even most years. But if we keep this culture, how we have it and finding the guys to plug in, we can have at least some success consistency. You know, maybe that's what they're trying to lean in. Everybody else is doing it this way out there and they're going back to this. So I don't know if that'll work or not, but that's, you know, maybe that's what's going on. It would be an interesting strategy to do that because, uh, uh, as you wrote today, talent wins. You know, talent wins at the end of the day. It, it does. And, and, and let's talk about t- – okay, And, the, you know, as you also pointed out, like with D'Antonio, you can recruit three-star guys and develop them, but the margin of error is very thin. And if you try to build your program like, based on, quote, culture and, like, try-hard guys – you know, 
you know, the margin for error is extremely thin because you know what, you might get a time when maybe those guys aren't going to try hard, you know, maybe they don't buy in. And so <laughs> then you have no talent and no buy-in and your team's going to be pretty bad. <laughs> well, you can't keep finding Shalit Calhoun and, and, and Jack Conklin all the time, right? It, 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 especially Conklin, right? How many times are you going to find a two-star guy that ends up being a first-round exactly. tackle? Yeah. You, you, know, you know, just real quickly, and I want Carlos to speak to this. Uh, if it's okay, Carlos, b- before we get more into Tucker, but this idea what D'Antonio did, this state has had three coaches in the last 20 years that have built, that have had pretty incredible success using that same idea. Izzo, John Beeline, and Mark D'Antonio all either got to Final Fours, National Championship games, or college football playoffs, finding somewhat under-recruited recruits develop and develop them. And it's uh, it's kind of crazy that there are three people in this little area that have had national success doing that same model. But it's you know mm-hmm. I was just you ever not really because two of the three things are college basketball, and I know you you think about that all the time. So <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. I, I thought you were a sports writer at the Detroit Free Press, but that's okay. In 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 in, in, in any case, Ryan. So so what do you think of what Tucker's doing? Because it's unprecedented right now. I don't know if it's going to translate. Who knows? You know, it's early in the recruiting cycle for 2023. But he's got eight four-star guys, and I don't know that that's ever happened at Michigan State. It certainly didn't under D'Antonio in, in one No, season. I mean, you'd have to probably go back. Uh, well, 2000 probably with uh, uh, the class that Bobby Williams inherited from Nick Saban. Uh, that, was, that was a really good class. And – was basically the first sign, well, the sign that Michigan State really could recruit at that national level. Where, uh, and I think if you know had Saban stayed there, they probably would have been able to be, you know, in the top ten eventually, um, because that's just the way Saban is, and you know he's he's a relentless recruiter. And Mel Tucker is a you know comes from the Saban, you know, family. Also, seen it up close with. Uh, Jim Trestle at Ohio State, the guy knows how to recruit. And, uh, you know, he's not limiting himself to the Midwest either. He's going national, uh, which I think is, you know, smart too. Um, You know, and also ambitious because uh, it's really hard to kind of convince a kid from the South who plays in SEC country to go play up in East Lansing. Of course, it's, you know, the benefit for Michigan and Michigan State is, the big official visit season is June, and that's the best time of year to be in Michigan because uh, it's really hot in the south. And you come up to Michigan, it's like 80 degrees and sunny. It's like, darn. I was like, wow, you know, this is pretty awesome. And they don't know anything about November and December and January. <laughs> so, or February for that matter. So I think, uh, you know, Michigan State really benefits from that. And, uh, um you know, Mel Tucker's selling an idea too, where you know you can you know build your brand, and um, there's a cool factor with Michigan State too that he's you know been able to pitch to them, and you know I think it's resonating with recruits. The Ishbia factor, right? How much does that? How much does that help? I mean, I think you know the fact that I mean he can go into a recruiting be like I got a 95 million dollar contract for 10 years. I'm not going anywhere and I'm making $95 million. So things, things could be big here at Michigan state, you know, just look at my contract. 
you know that's uh that's a pretty pretty easy selling point i think from his standpoint gives him a lot of gives him a lot of gravitas hmm. well carl's question is is a, is a good one i mean they're, he's they're completely leaning, leaning into the ni the name image and likeness up there absolutely and that matters but to me and, and i've had arguments with uh Tom Izzo before about the NIL, because in my view, it's going to level things out and allow more programs to come in if the money's the same. And then it's going to, be, going to become down to the personality or the scheme or whatever you're running, the culture. And, uh, and, and you know, Tucker's not just selling all those other things, he's selling himself. And he's got, you know, you've been around yeah. him, right, mm-hmm. Ryder? I mean, he, 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 he may not be what we want him to be at the podium in terms of the press conference answers and that sort of thing. But when you, when he's away and I've had a couple of times to see him, you probably have too. He, he, he's a very commanding presence. And I think that's, that's part of what's going on also. Yeah, no, he's, he's intense and he's, uh, um, passionate about what he believes in and is a very, uh, you know, has his mind. He has a very much a tunnel vision mindset about, what he wants to accomplish. And I think that that's, you know, again, um, something that's attractive to, you know, uh, recruits who want to have, have a tunnel vision mindset about their careers. I mean, they want to get to the NFL and they, you know, they want to make some money and um, have a pretty good lifestyle. They see the guy there. He's like, well, you know, I focused on my career, you know, I got to the top. You know, uh, you know, I make ninety-five million dollars, or I'm going to make ninety-five million dollars. Uh, I've done pretty well for myself. You know, why don't you follow me? You know, why don't you learn from me? So, uh, I think that's a good that's a good sales pitch. And that whole thing with him playing up the, you know, the Ferrari and the whatever and the G-Wagon and the, I mean, that doesn't seem like it's Mel Tucker, but he seems like he knows what he's doing playing that game, playing the Instagram game, right? I mean, that's that's what kids, 17-year-olds want to see. That's what they want to follow. And Mel Tucker was that, though, back in the day, because he said his first car was a BMW 3 Series with uh <laughs> did he get wait? Did he get nil money back in the day too? Yeah, How did he yeah, afford that? Yeah, it was like a 325i. Exactly, right. Bring the facts yeah. in here. I I love Carlos like a brother, but that's exactly yeah. Mel Tucker. The first when they beat Michigan at Michigan Stadium in his first year when they won what one yeah, of the, the three that year, whatever. He took a picture of himself with a hat and a, and a stogie in his mouth on the bus ride back and, and well, was a three piece suit with Paul Bunyan in his lap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he had a, a yeah. No, the guy knows the social media game. He knows some swag. Yeah. He's got an incredible shoe collection. I mean, the guy. Is, yeah, yeah, that's he, exactly. I mean, he, who he yeah, is. right. I mean, he's. Uh, you know, he was, he, he, you know, he was probably, you know, felt similarly as these uh, recruits back when he was, uh, you know, uh, a player himself. So, I mean, he can really relate to him. I mean, he's a younger coach. And so, um, you know, it's probably some of the same stuff that they're interested in now. He was interested in that then. So he can, uh, he can connect with them. Well, listen, uh, we've kept you longer than uh, we, we should have. I know you're a busy dude. And um, I don't know. We, we don't want to wait a whole another what, Carl's year? 
before you're back. Um, right as now? long as you as long as you come on and talk about Sean's column again, you can come on whenever you want. I don't remember that we talked. He about referenced your column twice in the last like five minutes. What are you talking about? But I can't help that. I did. I mean, I may have. I may have reference up my wrote last week but we talked about this the whole first segment was about the stain on the soul and your over dramatization <laughs> of losing a guy who wants to get away from his dad yeah that's that, that's just that makes a lot of sense we all okay. don't have daddy issues all right uh, that doesn't mean you have a daddy issue it's a natural thing to want to to move out and you know and then come back a little bit later in your life when you're more mature yeah you, you can know, keep I waiting your dad's it's not waiting gonna for happen you to do that uh, you know we'll we'll see yeah, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, Reiner, thanks so much for joining us, man. Let's get you back in here soon, maybe when uh, summer camp's uh, starting up, fall camp rather, later in the. Sounds summer. good. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. We'll be right back with more uh, free press sports with Carlos. My name is Kerry Junior the second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press, and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, finally, a subject that you have some um, understanding of. We're about to get to. Yeah, but you still think you know more. So I know nothing yeah, about I anything. I mean, yeah. I I wish I could write something where I say this is a stain on somebody's soul, as if I was. You're God. jealous. You're jealous of that headline, aren't you? Oh, it's gonna no. it's gonna eat at your soul, Sean. No, now, like no, no, if no, I'd no, only no, no, thought no. of it. No, just the proclamation. Look, I understand you walk on water. The proclamations that you understand the you know the soul of everybody and what their intent is. I think that's. <laughs> I walk on I water and then is, I turn it into wine. Okay, that's just to be honest I think about that it. That is, I think that is awesome. By the way, I heard from a family member. They, they, let me let me see what you think of this. I heard from a family member. Your brother, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was a friend. I can't remember. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe it was a family friend. Who knows? That they really enjoy the podcast and um, but they and and, and they love you. You know, and they they like Aww. the way uh, they like the way you you know go after me a little bit. They like <laughs> our, our energy and our our insults and our chatter. But they actually they they thought you know they they said I I think Carlos may even look up to you a little bit. And I said, well, he might. I'm looking down at you because you're on the bottom of my screen. But oh, yeah? when you're on the top okay. of the screen, I do look up at you. Yeah, okay. look up to okay. you. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I thought I thought that was really uh, I thought that was really nice. And I I thought yeah, well, this is why I have to. You know, make sure you're wearing your seatbelt when you're in your car and that kind of thing. You have, you know, to, to the to the listener out there um, and readers, Sean Windsor has an unrivaled hoodie collection. I mean, it's just, it's magnificent. Um, I aspire. That's why I hate the summer. I, aspire, I know, I know. Now, what are you in a muscle t-shirt or what are you wearing here? Like I have any muscles. Yeah. I'm just in a, a 10-year-old Old Navy t-shirt with a stained, uh, <laughs> some, pa- some paint on it, you know? <laughs> 
Yes, yes. You're 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 a sight to behold, Sean, and a, an example for all, for us all. I'm the most handsome man, um, not just on the planet, but who's ever been on the planet. Can we say that? <laughs> of course. Is that is that what? You, of course. Is that what you get? Yeah. Uh, it's it's the six chin. It's really the six chins that sets me apart. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. What what are we talking about here? That's that's enough. People are uh, people are tuning out if they haven't already. You can hear it already. Anjanette's pounding her fist on the on the desk. Oh, I forgot about Anjanette. Oh, sorry, Anjanette. By the way, Reiner smiled a couple of times for folks out there, and I, I want you y'all to know what a big deal that is <laughs> that, that we got him to smile. Is he not a smiler? Is that is, how, how can that be? Well, no, he smiles a little bit, and we broke him out of the monotone. So no. I, I think you know it was it was good. It was good for us. It was good for him to come in here, let loose a little bit. You know, we need to dig deeper next time. You promised him we were going to talk about him and his background, and you you turned it all into you know uh, mentions for your recruiting and mentions Harbaugh, for the yeah. Sean Windsor column. Um, but uh, yeah, we need to find out what what, what gets his go- what gets him going, what gets him excited, what's the you know. Yeah, it, we will because it's been it's been you know an interesting move for here, and we, we will have him back on, and we'll talk about that because it's a very different experience in covering Michigan and a lot of the feedback he's gotten, and you know it's just the dynamic of all that. It's so different with a college team, um, excuse me, compared to a, a, a pro team, as you know. A pro team, um, you mean the, you're calling Alabama a pro team? Is that what you're saying? Well, I was going to call the Lions a pro okay. team. I okay, guess. Eh, I, I semi-pro. You you did pick him to win. Six, five, six games. Six That's games. Another, six games. Six games. Right. Wow, wow, wow. That's another story. All right. Let's talk about golf for a second. Or rather, let's talk about greed, because that's what we're really talking about. Yeah. Right? And let's talk about hypocrisy, because I'm, I'm curious what you think about all this blowback, at least from some folks, uh, for players you know, going over and playing on the Saudi Arabian tour that's called Live. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's an awful league, you know. I mean, it's it's some it's some ugly dark money from you know the Saudis who have no respect for human rights, um, you know, at any level. And you know, I, I think that there it's just a lot of these play, you know there, there aren't that many stars if you want to call them stars uh, who are signed up for the league at this point. Um, you know, when Charles Schwartzel is your inaugural winner. Uh, of this tournament, um, you know, and Phil Mickelson played and everything, but it just, uh, it's, it's just, it's sad and it's, it's disheartening for um, this, for, for, for players who are already millionaires, who are already set financially to say, basically forsake their legacy, any attempt at, you know, playing meaningful golf, guys like Dustin Johnson, you know, and I think John Rahm the other day said it best. Um, you know, in a U.S. Open uh, previewed press conference, and he said, "You know, I want to play meaningful golf. I want to play golf that matters. The shotgun starts are weird, all this stuff. And honestly, right now, if I won four million dollars, it wouldn't make a difference in my life. It's not life changing money for me. I could retire right now and be set. And a lot of these players are in that boat. You know." Um, it's just a money grab, and they're very happy to ignore, you know, their conscience and where that money's coming from, who's funding it, what it means, you know, what that government has done as far as how many people they've uh, they've hurt, who they don't care who they hurt. They don't really care where that, you know, it's 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 just um, it's pure unadulterated greed. Um, and then for the younger players, it's 
it's a sad way to kind of start your career. And um, who knows what it's going to do to them if they get banned from the PGA Tour uh, going forward and where they have a place to play if they want to have a career. You know, Carlos, I have um, I have mixed feelings about about this because I understand to me that the, the, the best argument is the golf itself and what John Rom said. And I saw that video too and how he wants to play against the best and that sort of thing. And that's where he wants to be. And, and, you know, I look, it's like coming over here. It's like soccer players in Europe when they get it to a certain age, coming over here and signing big bucks to play, uh, to play for the MLS. Right. And maybe if you're in Europe, you, you look at America and you say, God, I, why do you want to go sell your soul and uh, play for a league over there and make all that money for an owner that may have his hands uh, you know, in, in a company that makes, you know, I don't know, AR-15s or whatever. I mean, we, you, you can you can you can go down that road with with most countries on this planet, all right. You can also say to yourself, yes, the, 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 what the, the the regime in Saudi Arabia, the, the oppressiveness and you know, the, the the killing, all of that, it's it's awful. But they're not the only one on a country like that. Not only that, you know, we imported five six percent of their gas last year. So every time you go, I know that's not huge, but you go to a pump, you may be putting gas in your tank from that country. So are you supporting that country too because of you're driving to work or whatever? We're so intertwined and interconnected, right? I mean, I know there's some folks on the uh, conservatives who are looking at this tour argument and saying, well, how is that any different from the NBA and their relationships with China? And, and you know, there is a point to that. You could you you could say that about so much of this world and you know so in the governments of the countries, not necessarily the people, and that we I think we need to make that distinction too. But I I I, I have mixed feelings about it. I don't feel I, I understand what the Saudi regime has done, but they're part of other parts of American life where we we benefit and don't think twice about it. Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good point, and you know I heard back from a lot of people after I wrote that you know column about the about uh you know the golf series the live series and you know what about the nba in china and everything and yeah absolutely there's always going to be entanglements you know there's always if you if you look hard enough you will find problems in where money comes from and stuff everywhere going to a grocery everywhere store, right carlos i mean absolutely a simple pro uh, uh, go buy a certain lettuce where was that picked out of the ground are those people being treated fairly i mean right it's every decision we make all day long Every decision we make, but there is not, this is different as far as you are making a one-to-one, you are directly leaving, you're leaving the best tour on the planet and you're joining a tour, you know, that's directly funded, you know, by that, by that country's, you know, wealth management fund, whatever it is, the wealth fund of Saudi Arabia, you know, you know exactly where that money's coming from. You know what's happened. You have, you know, the recent example of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. You know, you have all these different, you know, atrocities being committed. It's not it's not like, well, you know, I mean, I mean, let's face it, I mean, like gas and stuff like that. These are inelastic economic products. You need that. You know, where are you going to go? You can't just go get your own gas, you know, find it somewhere. You don't know where it's coming from. And, and there are unfortunate realities to the sourcing of, of a lot of products, you know, that we consume. But this is different. This is making a conscious choice. And then if you heard there are reasoning you know the players reasonings for all this they just wanted to turn a blind eye and say no 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 this i just want to play golf and i just want to play i like this format we all do though don't we don't we all do in do modern what? life 
You you go buy a, a, a television that's made in a certain place, right? Right. A, 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 goods and not service, not services so much, but well, maybe sometimes services. But you buy certain goods. They're coming from countries that have regimes that have killed their right. own people. There, and, right? and that's you the problem I mean? with it is you you know how much time do you can you devote to finding every little thing you know associated with with yeah you where things come from you can't unless you live off the grid right, right? so you got to live off the right. grid so it's exactly. a matter of degree yeah so i don't know i i don't know where this is headed i think that i mean you know supposedly they have the money to fund this thing forever and probably there are going to be more defections i'm sure because people will just i mean they're, they're they 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 the golfers like to talk to refer to themselves as independent contractors but they come in more like you know economic mercenaries now over this they don't really care you know about them where it's coming from as long as it's lining their pockets as long as that's a guaranteed payday which it is um and you know the the pga tour may have to react to this they may have to react to countering this in some way with appearance fees you know that are you know official or more guaranteed money or i don't know what the solution is um but you will see more defections now if you see them at the highest level when you start seeing the tiger woods kind of guys leaving um, that's going to be a problem. But even even guys in their prime, you know, guys like John Rahm, he's he's kind of the, you know, the canary in the coal mine too. He's a, you know, so they're certainly very aware of it. Um, but they better start taking steps right now to ensure that there are more people don't leave the PGA Tour and this thing grows even you know into a bigger into a bigger deal. Well, those are good points, Carlos. You often make good points. Um, I mean, you know, I think you do. I don't know. I know I know most people don't. I know most people don't. And hey, I, I understand that a little bit, but uh no, you're my brother, man. I'm gonna protect you and your and your right to spew uh silliness about staining souls. All right. Let's uh let's uh let's get into the favorite thing, my man. All right, who's going first? You go first. Me go first. Okay. Uh so Sean, this is this is one of my absolute favorite things. Uh, I had so much fun with it. My family had fun with it, um, and I hope you have fun with it too. Um, as you know, in our free press intranet internal library, it can be a little convoluted. It's kind of hard to half the people probably don't even don't even know how to access it. So when you have to look up something you wrote or whatever, it can be a little hard. And just googling something doesn't always bring it up. If it was especially a year ago or two years ago, whatever. So I just decided to Google myself and the, the column, whatever I wrote. You, you do that every day, right? Well, sometimes. But um, but this was actually work-related. And I was like, all right, it's just easier to just Google it. So I Google it and going down, you know. And then I run into a website called factsbuddy.com. Factsbuddy.com. And it's one of these websites that kind of scrapes the internet and gets information about people. And so I think it's based on how much someone is searched. So I'm on there. So I'm like, boy, okay, so it's, it's, uh, I want to find out about myself, right? So what does Facts Buddy tell me about Carlos Menares? So these were just a couple of the, the fun little um, facts that I found out about myself. Um, so they told me that uh, Carlos Menares' family, I, apparently, I was born and raised in the United States of America under the loving care of... Wait, who's Carlos Menares? Carlos Menares. That's me, Sean. I'm your co-host. Oh, I'm your you're co-host. talking to the third person. Yeah. You're talking to I'm reading person. facts, yeah. buddy. I'm quoting them. Okay. Okay. All right. He was born and raised in the United States of America under the loving care of his supportive and loving parents. So it's, it's great that the internet knows that. Um, Carlos holds an American nationality by birth. 
However, the total number of his family members remain a big question to many. Um, Carlos Menard's wife, his marital status on whether he is single, married, or divorced remains a mystery to the public. So apparently I'm a mysterious, mysterious man. Uh, however, we shall update you on the matter as soon as we, we receive relevant and reliable information considering concerning the matter at hand. And my, my favorite one, uh, let me see if I can scroll down this. Um, Carlos Menares is, oh no, this is my second favorite. Net worth. From his extravagant lifestyle, it is obvious that he has garnered a decent amount of fortune over the years. Carlos's average net worth is $923,680. So I'm making Sean Windsor money at this point, if, if that's true, which it's totally not. And my last, my favorite one, the, the family just loved, and I hope you love it too. How old is Carlos Menares? Despite working in the journalism industry for over a decade, Carlos has still managed to keep his exact age and when he celebrates his birthday, unavailable to the public. However, he may be 38 years old. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great. Oh, I don't even think I need a favorite thing after that. <laughs> but that, here's, that, can be for, that can be for both of us. That's my, my favorite thing. Too. My, my last favorite thing about this is that, unfortunately, Sean, you did not appear on Facts Buddy because people don't search you enough, apparently. So I couldn't find any fun facts about Sean Windsor. Or your name's too common. I don't know. One of the two. Uh, I don't know how common it is. Um, I'm going to start searching you just to get you on Facts Buddy. Well, you know, there was a there was a long time where the, the Sean Windsor would come up was a guy on death row in Kentucky. Oh, no. And it was the same spelling, you know, S-H-A-W-N, so... Did you switch identities with him? Did they get the wrong guy? Is, no, you... yeah, no. That was that, that. That's going back to when I mean, that twenty you, years ago at least. But were you uh, killing yeah. fools when you were a young guy, or what? No, no, dropping no, no, fools. No. Yeah, can you believe that oh, though? Oh man. Yeah, yeah, in Kentucky. So I don't know. I don't remember where exactly, but uh, I like. Okay, that's a great favorite thing, Carlos. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep mine quick, and um, I hope you'll forgive me because this is. A little bit related to what my favorite thing was last year, last last year, last week. And again, saying favorite thing from a, what I'm about to say is is a little, um, you know, it, it doesn't quite seem to fit on the surface. But if you'll just bear with me for a second, so uh, I think I talked about this last week, and then I actually wrote wrote about this during, yeah, I guess it was last week too, about my cousin Brady Gardner and his death and uh, what he meant to me and the disease and the family disease and all that sort of thing. Well, I, I, I went down to Nashville uh, with my brother for the service and uh, Brady's family and wife had asked if I wanted to say something. So I, I took what I wrote uh, last week and got up on stage in this big um, kind of, not revival, but sort of fundamentalist church, all not a traditional church in terms of with, with regular pews, folding chairs, you know, a electric band up on the stage and sort of, sort of a charismatic church a little bit, not speaking in tongues or anything of that nature, but, um, just a real live sort of place, big hall, big crowd, which wasn't surprising. Brady knew a lot of people and spread a lot of joy, but, but Carlos, I've never done that before. Um, I've read a couple times in, in, in public, but I've never, and I've said a few things. I've done Q and A's with people with a mic on a stage, you know, for like the Freak Film Festival. But I've never really gotten up and in front of a crowd like that and and done that before. And um, I walked up the steps to the stage. The minister called me up and got behind the lectern, and I had my story printed out, my column printed out, and I, my hands were shaking as I tried to unfold it to to read it. And um, 
I was just trying to channel something. So I, I unfolded it and looked out, and I started reading the first couple of sentences and immediately found this um, calm. And from the next five minutes or so, however long it took me to read, I was um, I was more relaxed than I've been in a long, long time. It was really, it was really odd. Um, not maybe not odd, but it was really something. And I I felt like I, I don't know about you, Carlos. You write sometimes, and you you move on to the next thing. I've spent so much of my career and so much of my writing life, adult life, writing something, and then not running from it, but just not wanting to think about it or not or not wanting to own it necessarily, or thinking it was garbage, or whatever. Just not negative thoughts so much, just not thinking of it as your stuff, and your words, and your... And so I'm up on that stage, and I'm reading that, and I thought, as I'm reading it, okay, I'm going to lean into these sentences and these words. This is what I wrote. And I'm going to be able to inflect and say them however I want. No editors, no nothing. And that was liberating. Uh, it, it was really, really, really something. And um, and I was able to kind of look out and connect. And then and then I got through it and uh, and and walked down. You know, got over the dry mouth. And so that that was really something I'd never experienced anything like that in my my whole life, Carlos. To be to be honest with you, you know, because as writers, sometimes you you know you you write for a reason, right? You know, I mean, I know we do this podcast and we speak and so forth, and but our natural inclination is those are our words, and that's what that's what we we stand behind our words, but we don't own them sometimes, and uh, and that happened in that moment, and the way it kind of connected with the with the congregation, and the response afterwards, just you know, with with Brady and our relationship, and it, it was just. Um, it was it was really something, and uh, you know I felt real, real grateful for that, for that moment. Oh, that's so. great. That's great. Yeah, that's it's it's so hard to get through grief. I'm glad something uh, you were able to work through it with that. Yeah, for for temporarily. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's a that surprised me. Sorry, sorry to keep it serious again for the second. No, one. no. I think a lot of people will will connect with that. You know, I mean, I. I it's, I it, one of the worst things you will the, ever have to do is deliver a eulogy. You know, it's it's and you never know until you do it how it's going to affect you. I, I had to give one, and I didn't write things down. I just wrote some notes, and I just kind of went off of you know, kind of you know, a, a, a outline. And it was much harder to just kind of recall things, right? <laughs> instead of reading things, right. I've done um, that before. Yeah, 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 and. Uh, yeah, it was. It's really, it, but everybody deals with it differently, you know. Yeah, no, and the guy that followed me um, was Brady's best friend. He just got up and kind of winged it a little bit, and and he was great. And that's generally how it is, right? I I don't think people expect necessarily to have a, a, a narrative read right in that way. You know, that was what was a little bit different in people's reaction afterward, and I think they thought. I almost felt a little bit guilty the way they were responding and reacting. Like, uh, you know, I, so I started telling people, no, I'm a journalist and I write. And that's, that explains why there was a narrative from that. But, um, but in any case, no, I bet you were really good at it. I've seen you get up and speak a couple of times at going away parties and you're, you're good on your feet. 
it's it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was I was really hard to get through it. You know, I I got choked up. I was surprised at how I was very you know like you said, Sean. Like we we do kind of these public speaking things sometimes, and you know, free film festival and different things, and we're kind of in the public eye and on radio shows and TV. So it's not like oh, you're not used to an audience, but when it's very personal, when you're recounting things that you know, were these important moments and an important person in your life, it's completely different. Um, and it was funny because when I spoke, it was my best friend's um, eulogy and, and uh, his wife spoke as well. She read and another one of his friends kind of just winged it. And the funny thing was they were able to get through it with very little emotion. And I had a lot of emotion and it and it was the catharsis I think that the people needed. They needed to see that pain and feel it. Um, and you know, it's like I I didn't realize that until afterward how much people said thanks for you know I know it was hard and whatever, but I think everybody felt that and they probably felt it with you too. You know that that narrative of who is this person and it was beautiful. If you if the if the listener out there has not read Sean's column, I think it came out on Sunday. Did it come out or Saturday last week? Yeah, yeah, it was last week. Yeah, uh, um, I don't remember what day. Sorry. Really, really well done. Really poignant. Really, and 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 the thing that was the thing that I'll remember from that is how it's not just that your cousin slash brother you know passed away, but how it's it's inherent in your whole family your whole family has many people have been touched by this disease and it's hanging over everybody's head you know and everybody's dealing with it in a different way um but the memory of brady too was all it was so beautiful all the stuff about the backyard games and <laughs> welcome him welcoming him and the little the cute little picture of of my a brother cho- yeah, brady. oh Sean, what seven or eight year old Sean Windsor with a full no, head of no teeth, thick blonde hair at one point. Oh, you must have been so cute, just an adorable child. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, what th- happened? But, but thank you, Carl. No, that was um, you're right. When you get up and you, you do something like that, you just you don't know. I I was really afraid I wasn't gonna be able to get through it. I practiced it a few times, um, just to myself, reading it out loud, and and uh, read it to a couple of people too, and couldn't get through it. And I mean, I struggled when I wrote it, to be honest with you. But I, I got through it until the very end, and then got choked up a little bit. And but I was glad because I, I didn't want it to interrupt the, the flow of the story too much. But um, in any case, thank you for uh, for letting me talk about that again, Carlos. But um, yeah, well, listen, man, uh, good show, good to be back, good to be here with you. Um, I'm not sure when we're we're gonna see each other again. You're gonna go play golfing with my. You're gonna go golf with my kids, I think. I hope so. One of these days, you can come out. You can just uh, you can flag down the uh, the beer cart for us. I'll carry your yeah, and I'll carry your bag. How about that? Nobody walks anymore, Sean. Actually, your kids probably do. No, they like they they like driving too. I think. Yeah. yeah. So we'll figure that out. Well, listen. Any other any other thoughts before we go? No, it's good to have you back. I hope to see you around and uh, and golf is it's time for golf in Michigan and uh, we do need to get out. Everybody needs to get out. Yeah, I don't. I don't really play, but I am happy that maybe I'll just drive the cart for you. And keep, yeah, keep write write the score down on the card. Three, four, <laughs> three, four, three, four, two. Yeah. That sound good. That's perfect. Yeah, you can be my caddy and chauffeur. Okay. I'll give you a mulligan on every hole. <laughs> That'll be great. All right, my man. Good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks for uh, you know putting up with my crap once again. 
anytime. Oh, I thought you were going to say just a little bit. For the listener out there, he was actually moving his glasses, <laughs> but at first he had his uh, thumb and his forefinger about an inch apart, and I thought, oh, okay, just a little bit I'll put it up with. But you were actually just moving your glasses, so I, yeah. All right, you have to you have to thank Anjanette or she's going to get mad again. Oh, we we haven't thanked her yet, have we? No. Did we mention her? We mentioned her earlier, yeah, that she was mad that we were, uh, I don't know what, we were, we were going off the rails for some reason. You know, when she's running the entire company, running the whole of Gannett, she's still <laughs> going to get in there and edit this podcast, isn't she? <laughs> She'll and never let no- it go. And give notes on it. Oh, yeah. You think yeah. so? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. Look, uh, let's let's wrap this up, Carlos. So we want to thank Andrew Hammond, of course, our producer. We want to thank, uh, you know, Anjana Delgado, who is the, I don't know, the Careful. Executive, uh, executive editor. Oh. And an executive producer. Well, she's the executive editor of the Free Press, so. Right. So we got to say that. She's the executive producer of this podcast. We definitely want to thank her. We'll probably mention her again in this closing. We want to thank uh, Kirkland Crawford, the sports editor, and Peter Badia, the, the editor of the paper, who makes uh, who makes all this possible. If you like us, uh, you know, give us a give us a shout or or, or give us a rating. Uh, Carlos only wants good ratings, and that's fine. Wherever you find your favorite podcast, Spotify, Apple, and that sort of thing. We will uh, be back next week for more of the uh, Carl Show at the Detroit Free Press and I will occasionally join in. Until then, thanks for uh, listening. Even hear the words they say I love stronger